Welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Rob, good morning. How are you? It's doing terrific, Todd. Hey, you want to do our introduction this morning? Well, we've got um, Heather Osgood here, who's uh, been r- running a podcast advertising um, company agency. I'm not quite sure how, how you like to describe it. If it's a consulting firm, I know you're doing a lot of great stuff on LinkedIn around trying to educate people. And I see you showing up as a speaker at more and more events and you're running a company called true native media, which, uh, which is a name that is very true to, um, the native side of podcasting on the advertising side. So I think it's awesome to have you here and been watching your, your videos and you're getting more and more into helping people, you know, start podcasts and doing all sorts of stuff. So I thought maybe we'd have you on to talk about what you're seeing in the podcast medium right now on the advertising side, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting time and it's been a transition uh, period for podcast a- advertising too, but I think it's still growing, but uh, welcome to the show, Heather. It's great to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, uh, and yeah, again, welcome Heather and Rob. Thanks for that nice introduction. I tell you, we've, uh, I've got one thing, two things I want to start the show off with and then Heather I want to jump into, but I didn't want to uh, ignore something that came out yesterday that I watched. Rob, and or I don't know if either one of you saw this, but the uh, the gentleman that's uh, leaving Spotify. Oh yeah, did a yeah, very Joe, Joe Budden. Yeah, did, did a very public. Oh, oh man, smashdown. And the right. only way he can of that relationship. And it doesn't sound like it is ending well. No, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, it's a hot topic in the medium right now. No question about it. And Todd, I think it gets back to what we were talking about um, just a couple of weeks ago, I guess, about um, podcasters kind of, uh, you know, start thinking about their value a little bit more. Right. Yeah. And you know what, what really raised my hackles is, you know, he's kind of being careful and saying some things and, you know, he's talking about other deals that have come in. I, you know, I'm trying to ignore that. I'm trying to figure out what they did to make him upset. And it sounds like at the beginning, got a nice check, right? made a deal, had performance benchmarks to make. And then come September of last year, supposed to get a bonus. They were expecting a six figure bonus. And like he said, like a half million. And when they went and talked to them, it was about nothing about downloads. It was right. all about streams, active time listening. And it was all, and he said, Hey, this is, this is the same beep, 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 beep that I, that the music all, industry, all the has, music side, sure. The music right. industries went through and Heather, I don't know if you've listened to this show much or not, but Rob and I have been on this thing for a while now that podcasters need to be careful what they wish for. And with the corporate podcasting suits coming in, we are being regulated. No, not regulated, relegated to following the same path. If we don't be careful and um, with them having more and more power on what advertising dollars are going into them, you know, we're, we're going to be left with pennies. And, uh, but one thing I did fall back on, And something he said was, I own my stuff and Mm -hmm. we're out of here. And, uh, the, the, the beauty is 
he recognized early on because he'd come from the music business that potentially this could happen. So, yeah, I, I'll be a fair warning. Uh, it's, it's not child safe. Um, so if you watch the 23, and I want to listen to the whole podcast now because they just gave us a snippet of it. There's more, right? but, um, it just goes back to what we've been talking about for a long time. I don't know. I, I, I hope Joe Rogan, I know Joe's smart, but let's hope he, uh, his contract was a little more detailed than the buttons. Well, and I think that, you know, Joe's contract probably has Joe, um, uh, Rogan's contract, I, I think maybe had a little bit of influence here. And I, and he also mentioned about, you know, Spotify going up and buying all, you know, pair, Paircast and Gimlet and all these and spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on these companies. Um, but yet, you know, he, he felt like that he, he brought so many listeners from his show over to Spotify that, um, and it was just accelerating and, and growing, um, that he thought he had a lot more value. And I think, the the deal certainly you know there's a little bit of ego here i of mean there, 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 there's no question about that as at spotify is doing these other deals with these other larger podcasters i think he he feels like he deserves to be in that same rare air right and so you know i think we've seen this a little bit in the past yep. too around um around talent coming in you know taking a deal with a network and signing a contract and then they become, they blow up and become successful and then they want to hop back in there and renegotiate the deal or they want well, more money or, he, I mean, this is a common thing in he, Hollywood. But he said he honored his deal. He didn't go back yeah, for I'm more sure money. Probably did. Right. You know, so he's saying that, that, that the contract was honored and Spotify didn't come through. Is that. That's what he's implying yeah. on the bonus right. specifically. Right. I'm sure the other part of the deal probably followed through, but. It seems right. the main contention point was that they went up to the sixth floor or whatever, and they gave them the rain or, you know, throw, threw them a bunch of charts in front of them. Right. And this Trying is. Trying to downplay. Right. 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 And this. Probably his, his performance. And this is why in the podcasting space, why the download will never die. And this is why CPM right. will remain Kim King. Now, Heather, you may disagree with me on that because I saw something on your guys's page, but I think there's a good combination here of being able to have the ability to influence, which you're going to run any advertising in a podcast. If you can't influence your listeners to do something, then you're not going to, you're not going to get paid for very long anyway. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I just think that, uh, this is, this is fair warning to podcasters and, you know, and Heather, uh, Rob and I had approached the idea of, is it time that podcasters are paid for our content being on these platforms? And that's probably a discussion for another day. Cause, we killed that one for about two episodes in a row, but. Well, I think that, I think that podcasts need to be more aware of what they're doing when they get kind of into bed with these different platforms. I, I think that we definitely see even, you know, with, with the Amazon music and audible thing coming up, it, it though, you know, we've got all these podcasts that are excited to get their, their content out there, which they should be. And we want them to have mm-hmm. distribution in as many places as possible. But I think oftentimes, especially, you know, you've got the, the, you know, upper echelon podcasts that, you know, like the Joe Rogans that are, you know, in a league of their own. But I think the mass of the podcasts out there are just people who are trying to get as many downloads as they yeah. can. They're trying right. to get those, 
impressions and those followers. And so they just have a tendency of running to all of these different platforms, assuming that, you know, their content's kind of safe there. And I think people don't do a good enough job really reading the terms and the conditions of what this agreement does to their content. And as we see these bigger players who are really trying to move into the space in a big way, they want all the control. And they're essentially saying, hey, we're the big dog. We can do what we want to do. And if you want to play by our rules, come in, which, of course, I mean, they can do that. They're, those are their companies, right? They have the, I guess, the right to do what they want to do. But I think as podcasters, like you said, Todd, we really need to make sure that the podcasters are seeing the value that they bring to the table. I mean, the reason that Spotify is so excited to have podcasts on is they don't have to pay for that content right. like they have to with music. So right. it, it, it's, it's interesting to, you know, look at what, what's unfolding. And I think that podcasters right. need to be really cautious. You, Rob, and I can all high five and agree to that in a New York second, and we're all right. on the same page, and we don't have any qualms about knowing what we're getting into. And but I, I'm just this it it goes to the core of podcasting, right? There was well, no, it's there the was independent no, or aligning with the big networks. Are we going to fall back into right. a, a an a old gatekeeper? Uh, corporate media paradigm there was no gate there was no gatekeepers for podcasting and you know it's not it's not oh my god the sky is falling because we are still largely with no gatekeepers thanks to apple and google podcasts and everyone else that it's out there but i truly believe at least us at blueberry we're Mm -hmm. seeing a decline in the number of people that are listening podcasts on spotify and it's been consistently yeah i think the honeymoon I think the honeymoon is over for Spotify. Now, other platforms are starting to make some gains. Google Podcasts, huge gains in the past three to four months. Huge, huge. I mean, like eye-popping huge gains. Um, Well, Todd, it could also be that that Spotify is directing more listenership to podcasts that um through these exclusive deals um over to the spotify platform and that wouldn't run through your network right, too right. so you know i mean you just l- l- look yeah. at when joe rogan launches over there right uh, that's going to be that's not going to be hosted on Lipson anymore nope. so we're not going to see those numbers uh so that's going to disappear into the ether of spotify right mm-hmm. and you could beg the question is the Joe Rogan experience podcast going to be available on any other platform other than Spotify? Probably not. Probably not. So is it really a podcast? No. So the, yeah. you know, I had a guy I was talking to yesterday. He's got something going. He says, I want, I want to do an exclusive deal with iHeart. I said, well, don't talk to me. You, you got, you got to go talk to iHeart. And I says, your show hasn't even launched yet. They're not going to talk to you. Right. You know? Yeah. You can go pitch them. I said, but right. I'm not the guy to make, I, why would I introduce you to iHeart? I, I am a, I'm a podcast hosting company. I want your business. I don't want right. you to go to iHeart. You know, go knock yourself out, go talk to them, you know, but, and I said, I said, oh, and by the way, oh, and by the way, iHeart globally has less than 1%, less than 1% of total listening market share. So, you know, they, they're advertising their shows. And I'm sure those shows are doing great, but everyone else not getting anything over there. So, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And I think it's also <laughs> gets back to it too. And I had this conversation here this past week too, around programmatic platforms too. And, and, and Heather jump in here on this too, um, of the view that the programmatic side and there, there's still, you know, there's a consistent push and trying to drive people into that. Um, uh, that the CPMs are so low, you know, and, oh, and is it because we're not valuing podcasts, um, advertising through programmatic platforms as much as we should be? I don't, it, it, uh, Heather, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I am astonished at how low some of the CPMs are with programmatic ad buying. And if you look at host red ads and what the, you know, CPMs are that we're getting for host red ads, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, they're, they're miles apart. It's miles. crazy to me. And I, I think that we have to decide as an industry what we are able to put forward and what we're going to accept. Uh, but to me, that gets into the bigger question of where is the place of programmatic ad buying within the podcast space? And is programmatic um, more valuable or is it important to the growth of the industry or should the host read ad you know, remain the, you know, the, the king of, of advertising in this space. And my opinion is that host red ads are going to be what continues to differentiate us between every other marketing platform, because my issue with programmatic, there's nothing wrong with it. And when you get up into the larger companies and the larger agencies, mm-hmm. what we see is that they are so interested in doing geotargeting mm-hmm. that it makes it difficult to not br- buy in a programmatic fashion. Um, but when we look at what the value is, the, the problem is, is that when we go to this programmatic place, then we throw our hat in the ring with all other forms of digital marketing and there's no real differentiation. So right. if there's no differentiation, then, Hey, if they're paying a two or $3 CPM over here for this digital, you know, advertising form, why would they choose to pay a 20 or a $30 CPM in podcasting? So I think it really just depends on the approach that we want to take as an industry. Um, and in my opinion, we still have so much more to offer to the world mm-hmm. with host red ads. The, mm-hmm. And the geographic stuff is hard because there's usually not enough volume, you know, exactly. because, and so, yeah. you know, that's, yeah, the, yeah, you're splitting and dicing your audience. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and you, yeah. and you now you're, yeah, it's, it's, you know, if they're going to do a national buy, and do 10 regions, but if they want to do 299 regions by Nielsen, in the Nielsen regions, then it's like this administrative absolute God nightmare to execute. And you have to raise the CPMs or you don't make no money. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but the host endorsing on work, I had the media buyers that stopped couple of years ago they're coming back to space and when i'm telling them 35 dollars cpm for host threads they're falling over i'm like that's what i'm charging now 35 you know maybe for some stuff 25 but i says the market is is changed and the value people are starting to figure out the value on host red ads and what they're truly delivering and um you know i say hey, i'll do 25 you buy six months Oh, we want to buy a month. I'm, I'm not doing it. I don't even do one month deal. I don't. I refuse. I do three month deals or I don't do a deal at all. It's not worth the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just the media buyers are. It's an interesting time. 
<laughs> you pulled back on. Um, yeah, because I mean, I was like, um, I've been thinking about this for for a while too around programmatic, and and I think that the the ad types that typically fall fall through the the um, programmatic platforms is more like radio ads, right? Um, yep. And then the host reads are typically oh boy. Hey, you got a um, train, Rob. I know exactly. <laughs> they, the host reads are typically baked into the content, right? So, but if you look at the technology side of this, um, there's nothing wrong with the programmatic stuff as far as in the dynamic ad insertion aspect of this. I think it can be leveraged across archives and you can do a lot of cool stuff. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's uh, programmatic's gotten linked up with a certain type of ad copy type content, right? It's more like online radio or radio type um, advertising copy. And I keep wondering if the pre-recorded host reads is going to be, you know, it's going to get some traction, but I also get a sense and Heather jump in on this too. It, the, the ad buyers don't like the pre-recorded host reads as much and they devalue it because it's not baked in. So I don't, I don't know. What's your thought on the direction of this? Yeah. I mean, Truthfully, that I would say is probably my biggest soapbox in podcast advertising right now is number one, I really, really believe that we should all head dynamic ad insertion because um, to your point, Rob, the reality is, is that you have all of this back catalog um, inventory, right? And the way I look at it is it doesn't matter when content is created, it matters when content is consumed. So in every other medium out there, if I'm watching a YouTube video today, it doesn't matter if that YouTube video was created in, you know, 2010, they're going to serve me an ad message, right? And so the fact that we've got all of this content that is being consumed on a regular basis without any ad messages in it is really silly. However, I think when people hear dynamic ad insertion, they immediately go to those pre-recorded, you know, radio type ads. and in my opinion, we can do a really good job with post-read ads that are dynamically inserted. And so I really push advertisers to that uh, because in my, you know, from my perspective, the, the value outweighs, uh, you know, the, the downside, which the downside is, is the long tail. So that's what they'll always say. Oh, there's right. not a long tail with dynamic ad insertion, because when you've got a baked in ad, people continue to listen to it, even after Forever. the advertiser <laughs> has stopped paying yeah. for it. Um, right. But when we're looking at dynamic ad insertion, if we can look at it, let's say for a month period of time, number one, you get 100% reach of that audience. So instead of just getting a small portion of reach, you get to reach their entire audience and you can be really timely with your messages. So you can make sure that the ad that someone is hearing today is actually relevant because how many of us have heard an ad where it's like, Hey, we've got a great event coming up. It's going to be next February, you know, and and you're like, okay, I know that that was three years ago. And it, but, it doesn't, it's not relevant. But, and this is the reason why we waited so long to build an ad insertion platform. I got, I have a global view of 60 to 70,000 shows. Mm-hmm. Today, and we run the numbers about a month ago, approximately 90% of all podcasts in our inventory deliver 90% of their lifetime downloads within the first 96 hours. So for most, 90%, 90% of the podcast inventory out there, they do this. It goes up, it's done, and it's done. It's up, consumed, and it's done. A lot of podcasts say, oh, I've got got long tail. 
No, you don't have long tail. Two, three, ten, fifteen dollars. Don't I agree? That is not long tail. Now, ten percent, super valuable, super, super, super valuable. So ninety percent of the entire podcasting space globally does not need ad injection. You burn, you do a host red ad, and ninety percent of it, it's never going to be heard a year from now because no one's going to listen to that episode. But if you listen to Grammar Girl, you need new ads in there because she her stuff gets. As many downloads in months. Very evergreen. Yeah, in month in month a hundred is it? But there are very, very, very few true evergreen shows. Even those those that say they are, I look at it month after month. I look at I have five, six years of history on shows, no beat. I mean, it, it's it's as flat as a it, it's as flat as that line when you die. I mean, it is flat. So, well, Todd, it's a content question, right? It's, yeah, that's. That's really what you cut to the chase here. And I think we've seen a, a strong uptick in, uh, in like true crime and storytelling and right. things like that, Those which do lend itself sure. to mm-hmm. long tail advertising. Yeah, and, 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 he, and yeah, are you seeing that too, um, to Heather, that the storytelling stuff has really given new life to the, the archive side of things? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, when you've got that storytelling content, it really is evergreen. And, you know, we talked with a company the other day who's interested in representation. They're literally creating one 90 minute audio drama and that's going to be their entire podcast. Right. And they're looking to launch this and, you know, have, I mean, it's essentially like a podcast movie is the way I look at it is Uh they're launching a podcast movie and Mm -hmm. they're going, you know, they're going to do a lot of promotion around it when it comes out, like the first month, it'll probably get some good traction, but then it's going to continue hopefully to build um, interest. Now, I think one of the interesting questions about something like this is how long will it be live, right? How will it have a year long life? Will it have a two year life? Um, You know, so I feel like that's kind of interesting, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of that coming into the space. To me is really fun because while of course all of, the interview type shows um, are great. I think that having more kind of original content podcast makes it it really interesting and fun, and it, it changes the medium. But I, I still remain, based on the data I see, I just remain doubtful. I, I, so I you really remain do. doubtful that they will continue to get downloads. You feel like they're just gonna it'll be a, a you know they'll get some, like you said in the first it, maybe. 30 to 60 days and then they'll they have to do ongoing heavy duty promotion continuously and where do they really truly discover more audience they're gonna have to spend money to make money they're gonna have to advertise on other shows they're gonna there's gonna uh it'll be interesting i'd like to hear a year from now how they're doing on that Mm -hmm. i i think you have to have this even on the true crime ones when they say oh i'm gonna do 12 episode run and then i'm going to take six months breaks i tell them you're not serial and you know you might be able to take three months off if if you if you pre-announce that through all 12 episodes that you're going to do 12 episodes and you'll be back in three months but that's not how podcasting is consumed podcasting is consumed by by people building you into their lives and when you're gone you're gone they find something else to listen to and maybe well but then again, Rob, they drop that media file into the serial episode right. and they, they end up on the number one list or whatever it is because that episode got downloaded a huge number of times. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious why they chose to do a one 90 minute audio episode. 
um, and didn't choose to break it up like into maybe three episodes or four episodes or something like that. I'm just curious why they chose that. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's the first time I've heard anybody doing something like that. Yeah, and no, I agree with you, Todd. I think that podcasts are consumed on an ongoing basis and it is really difficult to create, you know, traction if you don't have ongoing content. Um, I also think that oftentimes people, you know, who want to do seasons, which I think seasons are a really good idea for podcasts, especially for people who are just getting into it. Um, but I also think that what are you doing in that break period? You know, is there something else you know, maybe that you could create that isn't a, you know, a full blown episode that takes you 10 hours to produce, you know, could you do something shorter that is just keeping mm-hmm. you top of mind with your listeners so that they know that yeah. you're there and that you're still working on great content for them. I always tell right. podcasters your first two years, if you're going to do seasons and you're going to laugh, Heather. <laughs> Season season one ends on Friday and season two begins the following Monday for the first two years. <laughs> right. So the, it begs the question, the first, why do seasons, right? You know, What's the purpose? But again, there are some shows and again, it, it's, it's not, you know, Tata doesn't have this like magic wand. It says that your show's going to fail because you took three months off. But I just, you know, after having been here a while, I kind of know that it's just the way things kind of work, especially if, if, you know, if you, if you start out and get a good bump, if you, let's say you go to 15,000 listeners on a, a 12 episode series and have this fantastic launch and fantastic growth, you probably can do a three month break. Mm-hmm. You can probably afford to, but if you've only got a thousand listeners at the end of the 12, 12 episodes, it, you need to keep on, you need to keep well, building. Yeah, I can see that because it's like starting from scratch every yeah, single yeah, time yeah. you launch a new season, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that is so crazy about our world today is how much content there is out there to consume. So I feel like sometimes I'll listen to a podcast and I'll think, man, I love this show so much. I need to listen to it more often. But then the next one comes and I think the exact same thing. And I only have so many hours That's in right. my life and as do you know, as does everyone. And so you can only listen to so many shows. And if you're not keeping top of mind, um, you know, with your audience, yep. then it's very easy to lose their attention. And I think at the same point too, is the longer you do a show. And I've said this many times is that it's kind of like this bell curve. Well, not even bell curve. It's just like people come on, they listen, 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 they get sick of you and they leave. And then if you're continuing to podcast, maybe they'll come back in a year. Oh, you're still here. Great. And they'll start listening again for all till they get sick of you again. But people just get sick of hearing the same person sometimes, regardless of how good the content is. Now, if you're Joe Rogan, hey, that's a fan base. That's a that's a whole different he he's a whole different dynamic. So if right. you've got that power, keep people, but <laughs> most podcasters don't. They have to work hard, 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 hard. I just think that Joe's gonna lose a big chunk of his audience. I don't know about you. I think he's going to, I don't know if he's going to drop do. a third I mean, or. I mean, I, I, I try to like Spotify, but I don't <laughs> like it. Yeah. When I go onto the platform, I don't like the listening experience. I don't like the discoverability. I, I just personally, yeah. I don't know. I just don't like it. And I think that the other thing, and I, I don't know how much all of this plays into it, but with Anchor having those pirated shows, I feel like happens a lot when i go on those some of those bigger platforms um you know i'll look and i'll i feel like i see like 
dummy shows where I'm like, this isn't what I'm looking for, you know? And you know that it's not like the true, real Joe Rogan show. So I don't know. I just, I don't personally feel like it's as easy a listening experience as much as people like to criticize Apple, you know, think it's easier to listen to podcaster than it is on Spotify. Uh, although personally. I've got team members on my team that absolutely love Spotify. And then I look at the age range. It's I, an um, age demo question. Right? It's a demo. It's I'm a demo. I think it's demo. I, th- I really do. <laughs> you know, yeah. I prefer Pandora over Spotify, which I have. I'm, it's easier to find a, some sort of mood music or if I want to yep. listen to, you know, I'm looking for, a, you know, looking for a, um, whatever track, you know, whatever type mm-hmm. of mood track. And I can find it easy on. If I listen to Latin, it, it, it's easy. If I want to listen to, the greatest hits it's it, it's easy on pandora i don't find it as simple as that on mm-hmm. spotify and definitely not a good experience for listening to podcasts but some people love it so yeah i'm glad they're here but mm-hmm. y- there is issues with the, what's going on yeah yeah for sure one of the things i like about spotify is that when you put in if i'm looking for a specific guest if i put that guest into the search i think that they come up with better options than some of the other players I've used. So I like that feature on Spotify, but that's really the only feature that I have found that I like on that platform. So yeah, we'll see. And I think, you know, kind of bringing it back to advertising, I think one of the things that's most interesting to me about the deal with Spotify and Joe Rogan is that they don't have, you know, they didn't buy the ad right for the show, which seems very bizarre to me. Well, it was brilliant on Joe's part. They're going to, I'm sure they're sure. going, sure they're going to advertise on the ends and then Joe's right. going to fill it up in the middle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it was more about grabbing audience share. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what I definitely picked up from the, the Joe Budden um, argument is that that's where that's, that's the trading value, right. That's going on right now. It's, it's bringing those. Uh, unique audience members over to Spotify, right? So if they can get you over there, that means, especially on an exclusive deal, then the bargain that's being made is you're going to bring your audience over there. Now, it's the same thing that, uh, you know, Mr. Howard Stern did to Sirius yeah. XM, right? You, you know, and I, I've never had listened to a Joe Budden podcast before, but I became a super fan of him just in that 23-minute YouTube video. <laughs> here's Here's why. Here's why. Uh, I think I know why it's us. He gets it. He gets <laughs> it. He understands right. the value. He, you know, he's over the top, says what he is. He's got a big ego. That's fine. He can be what, but he understands what podcasting really, the true value. And to me, it's just like, we need some bigger names in the podcasting space to be emphasizing the cautions and things to, because I can sit here all day and beat a drum. Rob, you can too. And it, we're just too old for mudgeons making comments about the space. Right. And when right. you have a creator that is very, very successful and he's pissed because he felt he has been dealt a bad hand and treat, treat like a music artist. To me, that is just like, wake up people. Let's make sure we're protecting the base and doing what we have to do to keep podcasting moving forward, being open an open platform and make, and I just want podcasters to make sure they make good decisions. If they're going to go sign with Spotify, great cash at check, you know? And I mean, Todd, at the end of the day, it, um, you know, I think this raises a very interesting question and that's, 
and, and all signs kind of point back to Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, um, didn't, his podcast wasn't heard on Spotify until he did that deal. So it, because, and the reason that Joe Rogan didn't want to be on Spotify was because of how Spotify treats music artists. Right. <laughs> um, and doesn't pay them very much. So you think about that question and it gets back to, you know, how much control do we have over the distribution of our show? And that's, that, that's what we're trading on. And, and Joe made this value equation that he, he'd rather get paid. I mean, we don't know how much he's getting paid. Oh, really. It was a, whole, a, a, a rumor. It could be 150 million, 200 million, who knows what the performance incentives were. We just don't know. But, for Joe to make that move tells me that it was a very lucrative deal because Joe was against being over there for the the same reason that that uh, Joe Button is raising concerns. Joe didn't get as good a deal. Joe Button didn't get as good a deal as Joe Rogan did. I think is what it really kind of comes down and, to. And Joe indica- Joe Button indicated that he wrote the contract knowing what how he'd got screwed as a music artist. So I thought, wow. If he took yeah. precautions, knowing that he got screwed as a music artist and he was protecting himself that way and yet still feel he got screwed. Whoo, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. They just find a new way to, you know, to not pay you. But Todd, it also raises the question that, you know, the, the position that you've had for many years about this medium is the content creator needs to own what they do. Everything. Right. And not just even hand off licensing. Right. Right. Yeah, website, that, everything. That comes with a price, right? Yeah. Control. Yeah. And I, I had a conversation with um, a podcaster that is, uh, and it's going to be an interview next week on Podcast Insider. It's probably one of the best podcast interviews I've, I've done in years. And um, every time the gentleman was saying something, I was shaking my head, yes. And he basically does, um, it's called uh, uh, Actor CEO. And it talks about how actors only not only have to be actors, but they have to be good business people to steward the money they're making. And they're like, they're right. independent, uh, independent contractors when they do movies. And he right. just talked about what he did with his show. And I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, my God, I need to put you on a speaking circuit somewhere to make podcasters listen to you to understand this value and what you have built. And, um, and I understand not everyone wants to be super, super serious, but there's a lot of people that do and they make such big fundamental mistakes early on that they end up having to, you know, rework their systems. And, um, yeah. I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of podcasts make is that they don't treat their podcast like a business. And that always really shocked me that they, they go into it, um, with no real plan or no real structure. Um, and I, I think that you benefit so much when you approach your podcast, like a business from every perspective. The other thing that I think is very bizarre is that I have a podcast that's been very, very successful. And she's like, you know, I just decided I'm done with my show. I don't want to produce it anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you sell it? Like, you know, in any other business, you wouldn't just stop. You would you would sell it. You would think, you know, it just, so I, I feel like we have so much opportunity in podcasts, but because podcasters aren't approaching their podcast like businesses, 
they aren't getting the full benefit they could. Or they're on an ad deal and you're week six in and, hey, where's your report for the week? Oh, I went on vacation. Or (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, really? You went on vacation? (laughs) You know, or, or, oh, it's just, I've seen it all. You know, Heather, you have too. And, you know, so it's, it's one of those situations where I actually got tired of being a jerk because I had to be a jerk to the podcasters. I'm like, you don't do this. I'm, I'm going to blacklist you. I just told them, <laughs> you know, you're, I won't give you another ad deal because you screwed me, you know? And, uh, and it really is, it's, it's not what I like to do. And, and, but I think it, it goes back to the point that it's, I think sometimes podcasters don't understand the value they're bringing and, and it's kind of disrespectful a little bit to their audience as well. You got this audience that, that loves you and you're following you and, mm-hmm. you know, and I know well, that, I do. I mean, it's, a, it's a great um, topic, actually, that Heather just brought up. Um, should you or could you or or is it even viable to sell your podcast right as a as a business? I think it's I I think it depends on the podcast. I think it depends on the relationship with the audience, uh, whether or not that can really be pulled off. I don't. Know. I mean, so Heather, have you seen it happen? And what what was the experience that the podcaster went through in doing it? Of selling your podcast. I haven't seen that happen. The only thing that I have seen is um, I have seen an entity that owned the podcast and then they had like revolving hosts. Mm -hmm. So the host would Uh, come in um, and, you know, the the entity owned the podcast and the host was like a separate, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't wasn't the owner of the show. Um, Or sometimes I've also seen it where you'll have an owner of the show. And then um, they'll hire co-hosts to come in and, you know, they may, they don't own the show with them. They only get like a percentage. But I, I do really believe you could absolutely sell a show. And part of the reason I think it's so sellable is that it's not easy to build an audience. And if you, you would have to, of course, create a very good transition plan. I don't think that you could just drop it like a hot rock and then have somebody new step in the next week. but if you did create a really good transition plan, there's a lot of value in an audience that has been created. Um, I think especially, I don't know if you guys see this, but when we look at shows that are maybe in that, I don't know, anywhere from like five to seven years old, it's much, it was much easier to create a larger audience. I think at the beginning when people first started podcasts uh, or, you know, first when, when podcasts kind of got more serious, I guess I should say. Um, And, So I think now I'll have a podcaster who's been podcasting for a long time and then they'll say, I'm going to start a new show. And they just assume that, hey, if they're getting, you know, 30,000 downloads per episode on their current show, that they can easily do that on a new show. And then they don't. And then they realize how how hard it, it is now or how different things are today. And so. In my opinion, if you've already got a really built-in audience, and I, especially obviously, it does depend a lot on topic um, and the you know the whole genre of the show. But if you have something that is an industry, for instance, um, where you could pass it to another industry expert, I think that there is a I think it's very sellable. Interesting. Rob and I know that oftentimes the shows him and I do alone get more numbers than like when when you have a guest on like you. It's kind of an odd dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I think some, there's been a few successful shows. I, I, you know, I'm in the business of actually buying domain. I want to, I know mm-hmm. a show dies. I try to go get the domain. If I can get the domain, I'm more interested in the domain than the show sometimes. But, um, and it's personal. It's not what Blueberry does. It's something I personally do. And let's just be clear on that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that if you have a show that's got significant growth, but it's, it's hard to, how do you find somebody? That's, that's the next thing. There's one, can I switch a topic a little bit? Are we, have we killed this dead horse or we need to go a little further or? Uh, no, I think change it. Yeah. So I, I got a question for you, Heather, and I, it came off your, off your Twitter seed, uh, not Twitter feed, but your, your Twitter, uh, page it says, forget okay. CPM. This is about influence, turning podcast hmm. sponsorships and advertising on a tier. So I'm real curious. I keep hearing about, I, I truly believe that without influence and without engagement, you can have all the advertising in the world, as I said in the beginning of the show, and it still won't go anywhere. So how are you? How are you? Obviously, you're, you're doing a lot of stuff that's on CPM, but also you're bringing added value. Is, is that where you're getting more money is on the influence side or how? T- talk to me a little bit about that with your business. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I feel like that statement is meant more as a metaphor than it is as an actual dollar and cents kind of, uh, you know, transaction. So, mm-hmm. you know, typically, I think that podcasters are not thought of as being influencers right. enough. True. And so I constantly, you know, in every conversation that I have, especially with a, a business that is new to podcast advertising, I will say the value that we are bringing to the table here is this post red ad. So, uh, you know, people don't listen to your podcast here because the two of you are superstars, right? They're not like, oh man, you know, these two are superstars. I have to follow them. I'm so interested. They listen to this show because they know that both of you are extremely knowledgeable about the industry. They want your insights and they are listening to you because of who you are, not because of your superstar status. And in my opinion, I think that when you follow someone who you know is, you know, a leader in your industry or someone that is, um, part of your everyday world, I think that person has more influence over you sometimes than a superstar does um, because mm-hmm. they're somebody that you know, like, and trust. And as we all know with podcasts, we, it's literally like that person's voice is in your head, right? You listen to them so much that they feel like a friend to you. And so when they come to the table, and, and one of the things that fascinates me about podcast advertising is that in my prior career in advertising, if somebody came to the table and they had, you know, $20,000 to spend on an ad campaign, we'd say, great, you know, when can you get started? But with podcast ads, because they are host read, I am shocked at the number of times that podcasters will turn down advertisers that they'll, and I'm like, really? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Are you sure you don't want this company? They seem like a perfect fit for you. You're like, what? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Why? Money? You don't want money? What's wrong? (laughs) It really does happen a lot. And so when we hear host read ads, I think I sometimes I wish that I could get this message out there more. When you hear a host read ad, that host actually really does like that product. Right. right? Um, Right. And so there is a lot of influence that happens there. And so when we start an ad negotiation, I think we have to start with the influence podcast host brings to the campaign. And how do you value that? 
it's not merely just a CPM. It's not merely just a price. It's all of that person and everything that they bring to the table. It's like we've just been talking about. It's the years that they've spent acquiring an audience to follow them. And that is worth so much. And so I, you know, it's, of course, we base all of our pricing on a CPM model. Um, and I do think, you know, price integrity is important. This year's been interesting, um, but it still is very important. And, but let's, let's start with one. So that's essentially what I meant. By that awesome. Comment. So I had a call from a guy from Hollywood and this guy is big, 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 big in space. If I said his name, people wouldn't almost immediately know who he is. And he does product placement in movies like the Coke or the Michelin tires or whatever it may be. He does all these placement movies. So we're talking about product placement and podcasts and disclosure and how all that would work. And I told him, I said, I've been drinking Red Bull on my show for 10 years. I was wondering and, if Red Bull was and, an underwriter of this and, program. And, and, and I, no, and, it's right over your head it's, too, Todd. And, and it's because <laughs> I like Red Bull. They do not sponsor the show. They've never given me a penny. I don't get any free product, nothing. I like Red Bull. But I wish they would sponsor the show. But he said, you're going about it wrong. He says, Red Bull's established. He says, you shouldn't drink Red Bull. He said, and I'm going to put it up on the screen. He said, you should drink Bam. <laughs> he said, and, and, I, and I said, I've never had a Bam. I don't know if I like a Bam. He said, it doesn't matter. You, you, you should drink Bam and have oh. Bam be a, your sponsor, uh, one of your sponsors, underwriters on your show. But I'm like, it goes back to your point, Heather. What if I don't like Bam? What if Bam sucks? What if Bam tastes terrible? Then my audience is going to be pissed off and I lose integrity. And I tried to explain that to him. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's the most foreign thing I've ever heard. So hmm. he is in the business of putting product placement in movies and guess what no one cares because the because guess what the actors don't get a a a cut of that unless they're drinking some bam but if you go on tiktok you go on instagram you saw these people that are doing these product placements all the time they're brand influencers quote unquote and he says i would only do brand placement in podcasts if they were doing live video and they have to be doing half a million listeners per episode and i'm like well that's like 10 shows or 20, you know, that's probably okay with him though. And that's the, and he says, well, and he says, we want to do a, a bigger deal. Ba bum, ba bum, ba bum, ba bum. And I'm like, you do realize that there are millions and millions and millions of downloads that are happening by people that have heavy influence of space that if they said, I like bam versus Red Bull, that we could move the bar in a big, big way. But I said, we'd have to have the product people try it. Yes, so you're going to have to send out, you know, 500 cases of this and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And to him, that was completely foreign. But I think if you're going to have influence campaigns, if, you're, if we're going to evolve and, and not just advertise for stamps.com, which probably most people don't really use anyway, um, or whatever du jour product there is, um, I think podcasters are most set to be able to promote products that they use every day and probably influence their audience to buy it. It's been a running joke in my show for years. 
I mean, because I, I was talking about Red Bull 10 years ago, about how they'd be a good sponsor in a show. They've never called me. Don't ever expect them to either because I'm not a sports person. You don't think of a podcast as somebody that's drinking Red Bull, but um, I think there's huge opportunity in some sort of brand campaigns, and, but I, maybe it's just too much work. Well, Todd, I think you, you raise a really important um, topic here, and that's um, what built podcast advertising, if you go back to the very early days, with, uh, was authenticity. Right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it was trust. It oh. was trust. Why is right? GoDaddy still with me for 15 years? Right, right. And Fine. this guy is selling on inauthentic, non-trustworthy relationships. Placement. Displacement. That's it. Right. Yep. And that's the part that he's missing is he's not understanding this medium as a native trust relationship medium. And that's, that's, uh, that's really where, where the difference was between you guys. And um, yeah. many, many years ago, before I was ever in podcasting space, I had a very, very close friend. His name was Scott Brayton. He was an Indy car driver. Sadly, he died in time trials at Indy by um, hitting the pit wall a um, number of years mm -hmm. ago, quite devastating. He, uh, he had Amway as a sponsor huh? and uh, him and I would, you know, we'd talk about the, the stuff that was on the car and how they got their value. And he said there was someone that was from that media buy. They would be watching every race and then he would hit the stopwatch. The second that that car was in camera where that, where the word Amway was being said and click it when it went out. And then they took all that time. And anytime there was an interview, anything to get how many seconds of airtime they've got. And that's how they valued mm -hmm. the sponsorship the sponsorship. Right. So it wasn't necessarily that I, I was, you know, Scott Brayton was my good friend. I didn't care who his sponsor was. I followed the car because he was driving it, but yet, was I loyal to his product? Well, there really wasn't a product to buy. I wasn't an Amway sponsor. I wasn't an Amway dealer, but it probably drove a lot of people to consider. So, you know, same thing with Pennzoil and everything else that's on the side of these vehicles. So podcasting, I think, has a way to do this, but we're, again, we're in somebody's ear, not in somebody's, through somebody's eyeball. So. Well, Todd, I think we're in an era now, I think over, especially the last few years, where that, authentic um host brand relationship on a podcast is solely being well it's 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 being eroded right so we're we're falling back into a more traditional advertising model but, where where you're just running whatever ads available in your well, show sure it may have a you know an affinity with your audience Heather, the advertisers you have people walk away from ad deals all the time and is it because i, I truly believe there is still authenticity uh -huh. in podcast average they walk away from deals for a reason right well yeah i, yeah. I do really believe that there is still authenticity I in too. podcast advertising um i think that right. it like you know like i said people do walk away from deals i think that the difference is is that you've got those people out there who mm -hmm. are just really interested in making money on ads so what i find are that there are two groups of podcasters you've got the podcasters who have worked really hard to build their audience. And because they've worked so hard to build their audience, they're very protective of them and they don't right. want to expose them to messages that they don't think are good. You know, so like for instance, um, we are working with a medical device company right now who has created a product for birthing. And one of our birth podcasts said, you know, I really feel like the cost of 
giving birth in this country is too high. So I don't want to add to that cost, you know, and really to me, like it's the, it, that was a very protective method that she's using to say, you know, these are my beliefs. This is why I don't feel like this is a good fit for us. Um, where, so you've got those people, but then you've got a whole other group of podcasts who are like, Hey, I'm good. I just want to get advertisers. Right. So I don't care how much, um, you know, uh, how much it's going to cost my audience or whether I really like the product. I just want to get admin. But I also feel like to me, I, I always, I do, I look at um, blogs and I look at YouTube a lot because I feel like they're, you know, based in content creation. And, you know, like with YouTube in particular, you've got all of those pre recorded ads that play at the beginning and the middle and all over. But then you also have a lot of product placement in YouTube videos as well and host read ads of products as well. So I, I believe that there is a place for both. And if you're a podcast, exactly. Yeah. If you're a podcaster that just wants to run through and get as many advertisers as you can and, and it's not important to you to protect your audience, then there, there is a place for that. But then there's also a place for those podcasters who, really feel like they're in a genuine relationship with their audience and they're not, you know, I hate to say it like this, but they're not in it for the money, right? They're in it because they want to create a genuine relationship. They want to uh, provide great content and they also want to make money, right? They want to be paid for what they're doing. And, and we all love to buy product services. And my guess is, Todd, that you really do like GoDaddy, right? Like you probably really use their services and and you're like, hey, there's a million hosting providers out there. You should go with GoDaddy because they're not only a hosting provider, there's so much more, you know, right? Um, so we all want to buy products and services that we think are going to edify our lives in some way. So I, I don't think it is always as black and white as, um, you know, as we might think. But at the same time, GoDaddy and I have had a few rough points. You know, early on, it was Danica Patrick and that, you know, it's all hot and sexy women advertising type stuff. And that uh, was a period of time that luckily transitioned. And then they had a, a founder who did some stupid stuff like shooting an elephant and then it was up on social media. There was all kinds of weird stuff that happened. Mm -hmm through the time I've had GoDaddy as a sponsorship, but I went to him and said, Hey, 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 you know, you, 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 this is this, something's got to change because I'm getting feedback and I need to tell them something. And I would just tell the audience straight up that that was dumb, you know, and I, and, and, and be yeah, very, you got linked up with some of that. Stuff, yeah, right? of course, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so, for me, it was, there was some rough, rough, rough weather there for a while, but I told the audience, listen, I have expressed my displeasure. I have told them how I feel and we think that there is change coming. We're going to give them a chance. And they did, they transitioned the company off of that look to being more global, inclusive. They introduced all kinds of, uh, stuff for you know they went mainstream and they did what they what they needed to do and if they hadn't there's no way GoDaddy would continue to be a sponsor on my show because of just some of that stuff had to make the transition now um would have that been an expensive thing to walk away from holy smoke you have no idea yeah it would have been um but today you know they've they've done everything they can and 
you know, they had a change of uh, leadership and all that that's, that went on a number of years ago that helped that immensely helped us because then I could say, ladies, look at what they're doing. And this is why you can support them with your dollars. And um, so I think we're in a world today where a lot of that's going to be becoming more prevalent as well because of everything else mm-hmm. that's going on in the world. But um, I, I think okay. from a podcaster standpoint, though, there's three, I break down podcasters into three categories. You broke the ones that want to make money. It's those that have the hobbyists. They, they don't care. They're never, right. they, they don't want to. There's the middle of group that's, well, I want to make some money, but they're the ones that don't answer their email for two weeks. <laughs> those are the ones that sign up for programmatic advertising, Todd, too. Yes. And, no, and this, not necessarily. This, no, this, this conversation maps directly to what's happening in programmatic advertising, right? There's less control, yeah. right? There's platforms out there. I used to work for one of them that was uh, setting up. You could go in and set insertion points, right? Yeah. You could, uh, th- about the only thing you could do was go and select of advertising categories, right? Yeah. You didn't get the chance to say, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't want this brand. I don't want that brand. Yeah. You could only go and say, I want lifestyle advertising right but, or but that middle- or things like that in which which falls us back into this the area which we're you know we're talking about here we don't want to be involved in there's a risk right yeah of getting ads that conflict with your with your, your particular brand relationship with your audience but that right? but that middle group is still even though they think they want to make money they still hold the traits of that other group of podcaster that is very very serious about their show that trait yeah. of audience protection and audience, right? Well, no, host reputation is yeah. follows into that middle. All those groups, I think it's universal, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing to bring up too is that you know the IB released their advertising study from 2019. I don't know, four or five weeks ago now, and um, they broke down the different types of ads and that I think about it, I don't know that they broke down dollars. I think they just broke down percentages, but post red ads still way out, oh, yeah. you know, way any other form of advertising in the podcast space. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think that um, I would be naive enough to say that they'll stay in that position forever, but I would love just have them stay there as long as possible because, you know, I think that you, when you have a host red ad, there is so much control from a program level about the types of companies that you sponsor and do you like the product or do you align with them from a values perspective, right? Because like you're saying, Todd, I think now today more than ever, making sure that you align with a company's values and their messaging is very important because very it's a important. direct reflection on you. That's right. And, um, you know, so there, I, I just feel like there is so much control with a host red ad and so much more benefit to the advertiser and to the audience. Um, so I really hope that we can sustain the host red ad for as long as possible. It's just like, I've been a Geico insurance user for years in Hawaii. That's all I ever had. I moved to Michigan. I, I, I picked up USAA just because it was some recommendations, reason for Michigan for USAA. And to be honest with you, uh, I, I'm kind of converted. So, you know, for me, if USAA came and said, Hey, you want to advertise my pot, advertise with me? I mean, man, let's, let's rock and roll. And if Geico came to me, I'd say, okay, I've had a good experience with you. I would, but my level of engagement, 
Now, State Farm calls, I'm going to tell them pack sand because I've had bad experience with State Farm. So I think that it really boils down to, again, what we've experienced in life and products that we can stand behind. And where other words, someone may have had a good experience with State Farm and had their roof uh, replaced when it should have been, but weren't denied like I was. So, you know, for me, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, okay, I'm never going to advertise State Farm. If I'm going to talk very badly about State Farm, how do you guys like that? I just shied you away from State Farm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's that kind of a conversation that media buyers should die for. They should die for that type of, of an endorsement. And that's why there's such value in, in host red ads. And that could have been a host red ad to a mm-hmm. certain extent, you know? <laughs> an anti-ad. Well, you know, if you're going to support something and you've had a bad experience with someone else, it's okay. Now, the company may not want you to, you know, but maybe in in comments throughout your show, you can, over the years, you you know, your audience will already know who you don't like. Same thing. I've had a company approach me that wanted to advertise me. I said, why don't you go listen to this episode, this episode, and this episode, and then tell me if you still want to advertise with the show. Never heard from them again. So... Uh, yeah, in the early days of the medium, um, sponsors would come in and sponsor a podcast and the, and the uh, host would trash the advertiser. I never um, did that. No, I know, oh. but it, it happened, right? The, the, <laughs> the advertiser would be told that, you know, once they send a product out, they can't guarantee um, that it's going to be a positive ad, right? So and back in the early days, that, that did happen and, and I thought it was amusing. Heather, you're, you're going to love this one. An advertiser come to me with a big budget, big, big, really, really, right. really big. And they want to advertise on a specific show. And I said, that's not a good fit. I, I don't think you're going to get value there. Well, we want to advertise on it because who it is. Right. So I made them sign a disclaimer. Smart. That's saying, you will take what you get. I'm not responsible. I've advised you not to advertise in this. And I was, you know, that was like 50 grand. And it was only going to be two spots on a show. So very short run and I made him sign this long disclaimer and we ran the advertising. And of course it did exactly what I thought it would do. It generated two, two, (laughs) two conversions. And they came back to me, what happened? And I'm like, here's the piece of paper you signed, write me the check. (laughs) So, So sometimes advertisers can is get in their own way too. And mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, I think that the advertisers do that more than I wish they would. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they look at shows and they're like, well, I like this show. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but it's not a good fit for you, but I like it. So we're just going to advertise there. And you're or like, the boss likes it. It's not exactly, even, yeah, right. go buy that well, show. Well, that's the question, right? Are they buying the show? Or are they buying the host? Or are they buying the the idea of the show? I don't know. I mean. Yeah, that, actually, that is the question. And it's sometimes right. it's hard to say what the answer is. <laughs> and then they call you and see you need some make goods. I'm like, well, didn't we talk about that this wasn't a great fit? <laughs> but you insisted anyway. And, and I'm, no, you can't have any make goods. And. In next yeah. campaign, if you want to continue, let's try these shows. <laughs> well, but I also think to kind of, um, you know, go in just a bit of a different direction. One of the things that I think a lot of advertisers don't realize about podcasts is how slow moving a medium yeah. is. 
it really is a very slow moving medium. It's not something like, you know, social media ads where you can just jump on and, you know, see instant results. It's not like, Mm. and and because the way people consume podcasts, they consume them over a period of time. Even when you're talking about dynamically inserted ads, it's over a period of time. So um, I think that that it's so important for advertisers to realize that you're not going to place an ad in a podcast today and get results today. It just doesn't work that way in podcasts. It's, it's a long, long medium. I briefed this exact topic three times before contracts are signed. Right. I say, Smart. do not call me for the first two weeks. You're going to be freaking out the first two weeks. <laughs> this is not going to come up yeah. on performance for at least two weeks. And this is a conversation we have. And I actually have it in my, in my contract to make them understand. And this is why I don't do one month deals because it takes, like you said, it's slow moving. It takes at least two weeks to come up on performance. And I said, and by the way, remember, you're going to get it on the back end. When this campaign ends, it's going to invariably day three. We're freaking out. What's going on? I'm like, right. It's a game of frequency. Did, did you not listen to what I had? You know, read what we've sent you and calm down. And, and if they, the ones that spend the least amount of money are the biggest pains. They, they just call you 20 times a day, it seems. But those that spend big money, they're like, okay, another. Or the, the famous test campaigns. I love those. I don't do them. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I yeah. there was something, Robin, you and I went on a... We were at, um, I learned something valuable from uh, Leo Laporte's wife. You were with me. Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Lisa yep. and I were standing at NAB. This is what, three, four years? You were with me three, four years ago, maybe five? Uh, was it in the hallway? It was in the hallway, the, yeah. That's right. We're all, all the podcasters came walking yeah. through. I think we were doing an interview with um, the guy from and national association broadcasters right so, so uh, yep. lisa said something to me that was had a profound change the way i did business she says uh i said how you stop them cherry picking and she says i tell them no they can't have they have to take it all or nothing and i'm like hmm shows shows yeah you yeah take, yeah so you bundle you take That's it all you take it all or you take nothing i don't let them right. dictate which shows right. and 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 that in itself had enough, but you admit it's amazing when you tell a media buyer, no, you, you have to take all those shows. Right. You know, if you want the, you know, you're actually, what they're trying to get is a two or three at the top of the list. And they want to ignore the 25 other ones. And I'm like, right. take, mm-hmm. take it all or nothing. And I my podcasters also know that that's my strategy and they're good with that. And, um, it's worked that's out. The same thing that that's the same thing that Podcast One did for many years when I was working down yeah. there. Uh, it's it's always bundle buys. So bundles. if you want access to Adam Carolla podcast, that's right. They have to. You take have it. to buy like ten other shows that yeah. are part of the buy, which yeah. scales the 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 ad buy um, tremendously, right? And yeah. it also spreads that frequency out, which um, ultimately will drive a better ROI for the campaign. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you say, "Would you rather have?" eight spots a month or 800. Right. right. 
you know, and they're like, it's all about frequency. 800. That's the key. You get right. 800. Yeah. If you buy this whole stack and by the way, the, the 25 or hundred shows that are below the top three are only one tenth of the total budget, you mm. know, and yet you're going to get this entire frequency, but oh my God. we can talk all day about media buyers. <laughs> Heather, I wanted to ask you too, about your, your views on, on, on targeting. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, discussion in the industry and a lot of the bigger, um, more commercial professional hosting platforms like art 19 and, and others out there are really pushing the IP based targeting, right? Um, Mm -hmm. what are you seeing as far as actual performance on that? Or are you doing many campaigns utilizing that technology? That's a really good question. And we haven't done um, many campaigns using that technology. We've really focused um, a lot of our energies on mid-level podcasts. Mm. And so most of our podcasts have just been too small. Um, I would say, gosh, in the last uh, three or four months, we've gotten really large, over a million download podcasts we're representing. And so we're just starting to have the inventory to be able to sell um those shows um in that way and i would say that agencies are very interested in that type of buying um mm. but i i get very nervous with it because it still is a really small you know piece of the pie um so yeah what about attribution and what do you think about attribution well, i know that this is a very very big hot topic and i i don't know exactly how both of you stand on it but i really like attribution um i think that um it's it's something that the industry really needs because it 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 gets us into the game essentially i think when i started in podcast advertising which has been almost five years ago now there there was so little information and what I find with attribution is that it's, it's not that it, it changes everything for the buyer, but what it does do is it gives them a level of security. And so what I always tell the people that I work with, I, I say, we've got three bits of information we're going to look at for your campaign. Number one, we're going to look at the download. So we've got our hosting provider. How many downloads does the hosting provider say that your campaign received? Um, Next, we're going to look at your unique URL or your promo code because you're going to have to have your own way of tracking it. And so internally, let's look at the kind of results you're getting. And then the third piece is attribution tracking. Um, And about 45% of the shows that we work with host on Libsyn. Um, And as you guys know, Libsyn doesn't allow the attribution tracking. So um, only a selection of the shows that we work with, we can use attribution tracking on. So then I'll say, this is just another piece of information to observe the campaign. Um, and, you know, then I'll say, we can take that and we can put all of those bits of information together, to determine how the campaign performed. But I think what it does is, uh, you know, you got to figure that these buyers are responsible for results, right? So they're contracted with their company to make sure that they're making wise buying decisions to get results from their campaigns. And they have to have some information to give to their boss to say, look, see, it actually worked. It really did what we said it would do. Or, 
you know, it actually was successful. And so the attribution allows us to be, uh, you know, to kind of play in the same arena as a lot of their other digital marketing campaigns that they're, they're, you, you know, buying on. And so I see the value. So now, course, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll let you finish. Oh, I was just going to say, of course, I, I, I get the policy or the privacy, um, you know, piece of the pie. And I understand that audio is different than a lot of other forms of media because it's not as easy to opt out of um, an audio, you know, tracking as it is to opt out of all of the other things. And so I, I, I get that piece, but I feel like from ad buying perspective, it's a really important piece of the overall ad buy. Two things, they can't opt in or they can't opt out. There's no choice they're right. given. Right. And another thing too is attribution. I'm kind of curious how much actual results you get because with IPv6 starting to show up in phones, uh-huh. I could have as many as 20 different IPv6 IPs in a single day. And right. with cookies going away. Going away, right. And the CCPA and GDPR and being able to do all that stuff, um, I, I guess here, here's my point. I, I'm all about data. I like collecting data. I like uh, being able to have great information to give back to the mm-hmm. media buyers. I think it's, but my, my problem probably the same as Libsyn is, is that we're taking that information without permission with the, with the, with the podcaster and sharing that information. Mm-hmm. So as long as this is where I'm cool with attribution, so long as you make sure that whoever's doing your attribution doesn't take that attribution, number one, the advertiser, and number two, the middle person, if you're using a service to do attribution, doesn't take that data and use it for retargeting. Right. Because this, right. this is what we're getting asked for is we want the attribution data and we want to be able to retarget. And this is where I have a major problem. Mm-hmm. In if we go to Amazon, we go to Google, we have all opted in to allow Amazon to track right. us and do all this stuff. If there was a method we could allow the podcasters to opt in, I think I'd be fine with it. I think the mm-hmm. podcasters, as a matter of fact, I did a survey of my own audience and more than 50% said they would opt in. Right. And, um, but the simple fact that we can't, I, I think this is where, and I know the meat. So, how much of that attribution data, it just mm-hmm. gives you a little more. Mm-hmm. How it's not much, a complete how, picture, but either. how much more right. of the right. picture does it, right. does it, right. does it, does it, is it enough to push them over the edge to renew when they may not have renewed? Is it, is it 10%? Is it five? What, what are you getting? Because there's going to be so many links that are going to come from the direct right. click. Right. I would definitely say, so the biggest question that I get from buyers is, well, what kind of conversion rate do podcasts have? Yep. You know, we want to know what kind of conversion rates they have. And that's such a mm-hmm. hard thing because you don't really have a lot of data. And so it's like, I always feel like, well, I can make something up. <laughs> don't we make an answer up for you and just like say that this is what's going to be. But, you know, and, and what I try to say to them is I try to say, you know, podcasts are somewhere in between digital and offline. You know, if you could just think of them as not necessarily being a digital medium, I think that that's helpful. But, um, you know, to answer your question about attribution, I think we definitely have had buys come in because we have capabilities, um, you know, to use attribution tracking. And I think we've renewed buys because of that. How much it actually has provided us with like good, hard data. 
I feel like that's a whole nother question, oh. right? I think that it's more a perception. Yeah, perception. Than it is right. an actual like, oh, wow, these hard facts led, you know, led us to see that this campaign was super successful, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's all just about perception. Nick, Nikki's got a question in the chat room, and I'll take a shot at it. And Heather, you can follow up with your with your thoughts. She says, hi, guys, what's the minimum period of time you suggest advertising their runs that will allow them to see the real value of their buy. My personal opinion is uh, 12 spots at a minimum on a mm-hmm. weekly show. That's, mm-hmm. that's my, that's kind of my minimum. Mm-hmm. That's, so would that be, Todd, would that be one spot per episode? One spot per episode per week. Right. If you're a weekly right. show, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. twice weekly show, you run double and you're going to start, you're going to come up on, and it's also depends on, it's, it's a, it's a hard question to answer because if you're, if it's a new advertiser, you're going to spend the first couple of episodes introducing them, educating them to, to, to build this story. Then by the third episode, maybe you're kind of already done introducing it to the audience and you're starting to really drive the, the call to action. If you're just running the mm-hmm. same, I don't believe in running the same ad copy from week one through week 12. You got to gotta have some variety there, but I think 12, I don't know. What do you think, Heather? Mm-hmm. I think that it, my answer is it depends. That's so true too. <laughs> I, I do. I usually recommend people start with eight to 12 ads when I tell advertisers, but I also always talk to them about um, what kind of brand awareness do you have? So if, um, you know, for instance, I did a campaign once with match.com and they told me that they had 98%, you know, market awareness, right? So that means that most people, you know, if you take a hundred people, essentially 98% of or 98 of them are going to say, yes, I know what match.com is, right? So if you run an ad today for match.com, no one's like, what is that? I've never heard of that before, right? (laughs) But a lot of the brands in the podcast space are new companies. And so if you're a brand new company, and I've never heard of, we've got an advertiser that I think has a really cool product. They're called Kyrgyz. They're like these felt flippers that are made in Kyrgyzstan. Well, I've never heard of Kyrgyz. I'm guessing neither of you have, right? So if you hear one ad, are you going to be like, no. man, I heard that one ad. I'm going to go run out and buy a pair of Kyrgyz because those sounded awesome. Like you, you're going to have to create some awareness of the product with your audience before they're going to make right. a buying decision. So it really, I think it really does depend on the company that's coming to you. And if the company already has brand awareness, then they, I think, can run fewer ads and see success. Whereas if it's a company that nobody knows exists, it's mm-hmm. going to take more. You know, Kyrgyz, though, I can just see myself, oh, man, I'm wearing these Kyrgyz. They feel really good. They're comfy. And you know what? Mm-hmm. My audience is going to go, you're lying. You're not wearing Kyrgyz. <laughs> you're running around barefoot like you always talk about in your show. You're not wearing Kyrgyz. Whereas right. you, so then it's, again, it's that host alignment, you know? So. It is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. If they know you well enough to know you wouldn't be wearing felt slippers. Then. <laughs> you know, and it's, 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 so it's kind of a, now Rob, I'm sure Rob has got the pipe and the slippers, you know? So. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Hey Rob, <laughs> you laugh, but you're, you've got, you got the persona that that's, you know, you, you <laughs> 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 I'm teasing you, but no. So Nikki, yeah. I think it, I think it's a good question, but here's what I would say not to do. If you have an advertiser comes to you and you do a weekly show and you don't know who they are and they say, we want to do a test buy for four weeks. Don't do that and do at least a minimum of a two month run, especially if you're weekly, because you, even if they spend a little bit less, it, it's, 
they may never come back. You got one chance yeah. to impress that advertiser and make them re-sign a contract. So if you do, if you do just a month, you get four spots for, if it's match.com, maybe you can do that. Like Heather said, but mm-hmm. Kurgi, well, it's no, also that's, hard too, Todd too, that, you know, attribution for a long time has really been linked up with using a promo, promo code, code, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's been something that, um, I think doesn't always reflect true performance of a campaign. I mean, there's been companies, I mean, look, look at what Squarespace was able to do with their company, yep. just advertising on podcasts. They, they built a big company yep. just being committed long-term, long-term to using podcasts as a lever to grow their brand. And they successfully did that. Everybody knows Squarespace now, right? Yep. That was initially built just on podcasting. So, I would say, I mean, right. So, so how have I uh, kept GoDaddy for 15 years? There's, uh, there's promotion in the blog posts. There's banners right. on the website. It's, right. it's in the show. I get people come to my website that's never listened to the show, sees the banner, clicks the banner. So right. I still drive, but it's because I had used right. three phases. And I'm blown away by the number of podcasters that don't put right. sponsor message in their show notes, or we, we make digital as part, we right. digital banners as part of a added value for a campaign, just because some people see, yeah. some people hear, and some people can, but if you don't have a website to, to put anything right. on, there's nothing you can do there anyway. And that's well, Todd, that's you've also trained your audience to to know that you have promo codes, whether or not you mention it in your show or not. You have a landing page that people can go to to get a discount. Right? That's right. So it it really doesn't matter if you mention GoDaddy in your show; people will remember that you're you have that available to you and it probably comes up in the search results too right? well oh yes it does yeah. and uh yeah. you know there's long-term value to that as well not a, so i, I think just, that's the biggest reason that you've held on to GoDaddy over the years it's not so much of the mention of GoDaddy in your show it's, it's a dedicated i think it's you build a reputation for being yeah. a representative of this brand there's a dedicated landing page for my sponsor i do this for every sponsor i have, I have a dedicated landing page for them right and right. in my show, I don't tell them to go to GoDaddy. I tell them go to geekingcentral.com forward slash GoDaddy. That's replicated about a, more than a thousand times. So my right. audience, know, and I tell my audience, tell your friends to go to geekingcentral.com. I don't want them going to GoDaddy. I want them coming to my website and get the promo code, then going to GoDaddy. So in some ways, your show is a promotion for the opportunity to go to your website. Absolutely. Right. And I've done so, that for a few other brands. I, you know, for right. a while was, I, I, I was, and this is a whole nother topic. We, and we're almost out of time, but Heather, I've experimented with, um, just regular, uh, CPA campaign and oh, I've experimented with them. And, and here's, and that's, we can spend an hour on this. I just cost per acquisition. Yeah. See, was, I've, you know, and, yeah. and I've right. not done it. I've just found something on commission junction or whatever mm-hmm. that I loved. And yeah. I, I played around with it. And I, for a while I was doing Hertz. I was pushing hurt. And I would, mm-hmm. I would, I do a promotion in the show, just like I promoted GoDaddy, but it was to sound like it hurts. I'd send them over the Hertz page and I got some traction that way. Mm-hmm. But whenever we've tried someone come in and say, Hey, we'd like to do a hybrid campaign where we're going to give you a CPM, but we're going to also pay you out on performance on CPA. If you, those have always ended horribly. I don't know what it is with CPA mm-hmm. podcasters. If they'd somehow there's some mental thing in their head, including me, that if you're not getting a paycheck, a guaranteed paycheck, it's just, I, I, I don't, the, the, the response is different. It's very, Absolutely. very odd. 
And yeah. also, another thing too, you can't trust any of these affiliate marketing. I can tell you horror stories about Commission Junction, some of the things they do. So, oh, really? <laughs> oh. well, that that could explain, Todd, why there's not a lot of um, ROI on running those campaigns. It's because there's some fraud going on. But, you yeah. said it. I did not. <laughs> and I'm not. Could in, be some fraud. And I'm going not on, implying right? that. Right. I I recommend that people do affiliate or CPA campaigns when their shows are small. So I think that it's a good idea if you're a new podcaster to start start your ad and form you know formulate your ad to accept advertisers, educate your audience that you have advertisers. And so, in my opinion, if you use these CPA campaigns or these affiliate programs, number one, it's a good practice for you as yep. a, a host to understand what is it like to put together ad reads. How does mm-hmm. my audience? Um, yeah. you know, react to them and how can I get better? Because there's nothing on the line for you. That's right. And then you can practice that until you get to a place where your audience is large enough so that you can get, you know, paid advertisers. So I recommend that people do CPA campaigns in those, you know, situations, but I agree mm-hmm. with you, Todd, we've never had a positive experience with the CPA campaign. So we, we won't run them. Because- so, if yeah. you are a podcaster and you're going to go do a CPA campaign on your own, always, 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 always try to go direct to the company and do one through the company that is not managed mm-hmm. by a commission junction or someone like that, that they have right. their own internal CPA system. You are mm-hmm. going, that's a, I'm, I'm just and, telling you. <laughs> yeah. And there are some great companies out there. Like I know Aweber, for instance, is super invested in the podcast space. They're always at podcast yep, events. Yep. They have their own internal affiliate own internal. program. Um, right. So, you know, I mean, I think that that's a really good recommendation. Yep. Todd. Like find those companies that are already here wanting to support right. the podcast industry and then create alliances with those companies. And only go to those that have their own internal program, not being managed by any other third party yeah. and you need to ask them how long do the cookies stick all those types of questions so that you yeah right. um <laughs> well i also wanted to mention too that podcast advertising i know we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about attribution and and promo codes and things like that but we also have to realize that a lot of people don't use uh promo codes right or they'll forget the promo code or or they hear the ad or or they hear about the company and six months later they'll go to the website and finally buy, mm-hmm. right? And there's no way to necessarily track that. I mean, a lot of, even e- even in the cookie attribution stuff, a lot of those cookies will have expired by then. So there, yeah. there are long-term benefits from podcast advertising that are not always easily attributed to a particular campaign on a conversion. So, um, you know, I had that issue early on um, in my radio show days when I was starting to work with some advertisers with my show. Um, they wanted to just come in and do, you know, just buy short duration campaigns and cause they weren't very educated about, you know, back in those days, it was, it, it was difficult. And that's really all I did was host reads back then on the radio too. So, um, I was driving this, this message to them that what you're buying is, is, um, brand awareness is what you're buying on my show. You're not necessarily buying instant conversions because a, a lot of the buyers think, Digital advertising is like um, AdWords, right? Where you're come in and you get, you buy a campaign and you place um, this on a website, and 
it's all tracked on instant conversions, right? It's like, bam, bam, you know, it's like almost like crack, right? You just, you know, you're always lo- looking for that instant um, uh, results, right? Where podcasting is really a delayed, a massively delayed r- result medium. And I agree with this whole conversation that we've had about it because it, that's been my own experience with it and really drove that message to those advertisers is that buying into my show is building impressions on people that are bringing awareness to your show in the long term as well. Uh, and we're almost, we are out of time, but we are out of time. Yeah. So, what I always tell podcasters if they're going to do CPA, tell you have to train your audience to go to your website and click the link. Mm-hmm. Don't, right. don't even give them the promo code in the show because if they go to the website and use the promo code, there is a disconnect because the systems don't always track. Most right. of the systems are, are track the hyperlink in and a website. on the website versus mm-hmm. that's what happens on commission junction. If, if you go to GoDaddy and enter my promo code, it doesn't register at CJ. But if you go to my website and click on the link and go to GoDaddy, it gets registered. Right. So if you're, if you're using any type of commission junction type of system, they have that. They, if they go to the website manually and put in the promo code, you will not get credit for that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. I also think that it's really valuable for podcasters to encourage their audience to use a promo code because I think, you know, obviously to your point, Rob, most people don't use promo code, right? And so, but right. I think that if you're a host out there that you should say, hey, you guys, like buy these products that I'm advertising and make sure that you use the promo code because it helps me, it helps mm-hmm. the show. because. I think the average listener doesn't really consider that. And I think as, as podcast hosts, sometimes we take those things for granted. Um, but you really do need to encourage your audience to use those links, use those codes, because it can make a huge difference in the performance that the advertiser sees that, that right. they're attributing to right. you as you know, the host and the, and, and the show. And if Heather brings you a deal, the promo code is safe to use standalone. I'm just talking about only when you are doing right. self-surge CPA. Okay, because because Heather's going to go back and they're going to make sure that the promo code they got ended manually got counted and you got credit. So it's just your self-service CPAs, have them click the link. And your regular advertising campaigns that come from me, you can just tell them to use the promo code on the website. So, Heather, anything before we leave? My God, we this went super fast. Yeah, no, just thank you guys so much for having me on. I mean, I think that the podcast industry is obviously just continuing to grow and the ad industry um, in podcast is so uh, dynamic and it's it's flourishing. And despite you know the coronavirus, everything is going really well. So uh, you know, just know that there is definitely opportunity in ad sales and podcasts. And how can they find you? What's the best lo- best way? Yeah, they can go to truenativemedia.com. Um, and if you're an advertiser or if you're a podcaster and you want to talk with us, we've got different options there. Um, as you guys mentioned, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So um, you can, you know, catch me on LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time and would love to chat with any of you. Again, it's truenativemedia.com is the website and their Twitter address is the same. Anyway, yeah. I'm Todd at blueberry.com at Geek News on Twitter, Rob. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well at Rob Greenlee. And uh, you can send me an email if you want, uh, Rob G at uh, lipson.com. Heather, thanks for coming on and spending time with us today. It's been our pleasure to have you as our guest, and uh, thanks for sharing your insights. It's it's always fun because, you know, you say stuff, and I'm just like, yep, 
So it's, it's <laughs> nice to know we all have some of the similar experiences right. out there. So yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Yep. Everyone, we'll see you on you. Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific for our Wednesday show. And uh, yep. hopefully tune in. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you.